Good morning, movement. It is so good to see you, so good to see you. I can't see your face if you're online, but I know you're there, and I'm grateful for it. Um, welcome to movement, the place where the green truck rests at night, the place where the green walls and green chairs here and there, uh, but we don't serve green Kool-Aid because that would be weird, okay? Uh, we don't do that. Uh, but the green isn't an accident. It's not just because all the cool colors got taken. Um, welcome to the place where green means go, okay? And uh, so Elisa just uh, kind of gave you a little snapshot into what happens almost every single week because of your generosity, uh, the way that you give your, uh, your financial generosity, the way you give your time. It is making a difference. And uh, you may notice that there is a, a baptistry here set up, and uh, everybody say 22. 22. So yesterday, the 22nd person uh, this year has decided to follow Jesus forever in baptism. So let's put our hands together for that. His name is Toby. He's one of our students, and uh, we are just so proud of him and this decision. And uh, your generosity is doing some incredible things here. Um, this is, uh, this place is really special. It's, it's, it's a place, it's a spot that I consider, uh, where a very special people huddle up and try to find their place in a story that God's been writing for a long, long time. So if this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. Maybe it's your second time here. We're equally glad. If you've been here many, many times, we are also so very glad that you're here. And uh, if you're watching online, we're glad that you spent just this amount of time with us. Um, but we hope that this time is meaningful for you. And uh, my name is Mark, and I, I think I need to start with a confession. Um, here it is. All my toes have their own socks. Okay? There. I've said it. I've said it. Um, now... This is a confession, but this is not repentance because you know what, guys? I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Um, there, I've said it. I feel better. Um, I'm not going to show. Okay, yes, I am going to show you guys. We get a good shot of this. Toes. Every toe equally treated, equally loved. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. Uh, they're better. I feel better. My toes feel better. They are better. And I think everybody likes better, don't they? Everybody? Anybody in here not like better? We all like better. Uh, well, toe socks are better. Um, and if you're open-minded, guys, I don't just want to tell you about this. Um, I'd love for some of you who are open-minded to, to raise your hand if you want to join the toe sock revolution because I have two pairs that I want to offer. Madeline, come here. Yes, give it up for Madeline. I want a full review. I've got a large pair. Anybody? Come here. Yes, sir. The beard wins. It would be unfair if I just told you about these, okay? But I want people to enjoy better. There's something incredible about things that are better. Um, welcome to the movement, guys. Um, I bet you didn't wake up and think that uh, you'd come on into a church and the, the teacher would be a sock evangelist, right? You're like, what in the world just happened? Tell your friends, man. Tell your friends. Injinji is the name of the toe socks. 
in Jinji. If you need help spelling it, see me after the service and I'll hook you up, okay? Um, we like the unexpected here, and we like better, okay? Better is just better. Now, on to the really good stuff. I, uh, I get the privilege of kicking off this new series that we're calling, Who Do You Think You're Talking To? And we'll be spending some time with some Hebrew words that, uh, that embody some pretty important characteristics of, of who God is, of his character, and what we can expect from him. You may, or may, you may or may not know that the entire New Old Testament, which is 39 individual books, it was originally written in Hebrew, and uh, we'll be spending a lot of time in this series looking at some Old Testament stories and Old Testament content, and our approach to this series uh, involves a bit of an assumption, and I want to I name that assumption right now. The content of this talk, and, and really this whole series for that matter, um, is primarily directed at those who believe there is a God, okay? They may not know exactly what they think of him, but they believe he's there. So that's the categorization that we're looking at. Some in this room believe that, that they've got a pretty good grasp of who God is and how good he is. And others in this room may believe that there's a God, but you're not quite sure what to think of him, not quite sure who he is and what his character is like and what he really is like. You believe there's a creator of the universe, but you're not quite sure. And if that's you, um, I want to take a moment to just say, I'm so glad that you're with us. I'm so glad that you're watching online if that's you. Um, but if, if that is you, I'm going to say something from this stage that I don't know has ever been said, Okay. Everybody's like, uh-oh, oh, what's this guy about to say? Um, if you're in this, in this room or you're watching in this digital space and you would say, I, I really don't even know if I believe that there's a God, um, I'm going to give you permission to turn me off or tune out for the next few minutes, okay? But before you do, before you do, can I ask you one question and ask you to do one thing? If that's you and you're not sure that there's actually even a God in the world, um, here's my question. If God is real, would you want to know? If God is real, would you want to know? And uh, if you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I believe that there is a God, but, but yeah, I'd really like to know if he is real. Can I just ask you to, to commit to something? And then I'll bless you to check out for the rest of this talk. Would you commit every day for the next seven days to pray this prayer right here? God, if you are real, will you make yourself real to me? If you pray that seven days in a row, I promise God will show up, okay, in some way, shape, or form, but you got to be looking around. It may not show up on a billboard. It may not be a digital sign. You may not get uh, 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 an audible voice in your ear, but I would love, love, love to hear if you pray that prayer for seven days and you haven't experienced anything, I want to know about it, okay? If you prayed that prayer for seven days, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I really, I really feel like God communicated something to me, or he showed up in my pain, or something, I want to hear about it. So my email is mark at move 603. I want to hear what happens after these seven days. If you're like, yeah, I just don't know if there's a God, and you pray that prayer for seven days and ask God to show up, I want to hear what happens. If you'll commit to that, then I will bless you checking out for the rest of this message or even turning off the, uh, the stream. But feel free to stick around and just be a fly on the wall for the rest of this talk. 
So when somebody brings up the name of God, if there are four people in the room, there are probably going to be five perspectives on who God is. In this series, we're going to explore four common views of God's character and how they compare to the true character of God. Uh, Some misconceptions about who God is. One view sees God as an angry old curmudgeon who's got this electric fly swatter that just swats people every time they, uh, they mess up, and sometimes just when they don't mess up, just to see them squirm. Uh, they think that God is just a mad God, just a cranky old man. You guys, maybe you've seen on social media the You Mad Bro, uh, Richard Sherman. If you know, you know, You Mad Bro. That's how they see God. Another view looks at God like the referee that just blows every single call imaginable. He might just need to brush up on the rules of the game. Or maybe his contact prescription is a little expired and he needs to get back to the eye doctor. Maybe that is how we see God. Maybe he's just a bad God. He's just not a very good God. Some people think God just can't keep up. Like maybe he's really, really old. Too many people too many problems in the world. Maybe he's old and he's tired and he decided to take a nap while the deepest fears and pains of my life came into reality. Maybe he's just a a sad God. We should just feel sorry for him. He's not much of a God. And yet for some, he is the father that we knew we needed, but we never could have imagined existed. He and his love has changed our lives It continues to move through us for for the benefit of the people around us. He's the ultimate dad God. So, mad God, bad God, sad God, dad God. Um, We know some of it's a little weird, but uh, uh, sometimes stickiness is helpful, okay? The best way to know the character of God is to look at the many ways he has shown up to, through, and for his people. He is the great healer. He is a good shepherd. He gives good gifts, and he is our peace, and he is so, so much more. So if you're ready to lean in and look at who we are talking to when we pray, then let's go. Now, you'll often hear uh, people from this platform refer to our Heavenly Father. And so this kind of, this series is really going to be a deep dive into like, what is that heavenly portion of our Father in heaven? What makes him heavenly? What makes him so good? We all, all of us have an earthly father. All of us. Maybe your relationship with your father was really difficult. Uh, Maybe it was painful. Maybe it was non-existent. Or maybe it was like the best ever. I think that covers every single category. But oftentimes we tend to view God through the lens of our relationship with our own dads. And so sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's just not. So we have to have a, an anchor to come back to when we're trying to determine who God is. And so this week, we're going to explore whether God really is this old cranky man has no problem writing us off when we mess up or when our mess becomes too much. So we're going to start by looking at a story from the Old Testament. Some of you may be familiar with this. To some, this is going to be new ground, and that is awesome too. So we're going to be in the book of Judges, okay? 
bet you didn't expect to come in and, and hear a, a message from the book of Judges this morning, but welcome to movement. Now, if you dive into the Old Testament, you will see a cycle that became really clear over time. Here's how it would go. God would reveal himself in some way to his people and these, the Israelites, his people, and they'd, they'd be like, wow, God, you, you really are real and you really are good. We're going to follow you forever. And then forever turns out to be just a couple of years, and before long, they drift and slowly turn away from God. Then a judge would show up. He would show up on the scene and point them back to him. And that is a super inadequate and short description of how it would go, but that, for the sake of time, like that's all we can go into right now. But we're going to explore one of these stories a little bit more in depth today. Uh, but this would happen over and over and over to the tune of 12 different judges who would make an appearance over the course of about 400 or more years, depending on your sources. Rinse, recycle, repeat. But the story of this judge, his name was Gideon. And uh, so it's so good, I don't want to summarize the whole thing. And so I'm going to read some of it. Uh, to all of us, we're all going to kind of follow together. And if you've heard of Gideon, you're probably like, is this the fleece guy? Yes, this is the fleece guy. So much more than that, but you'll understand a little bit more as we uh, jump into this. But it is so much better than just a fleece. And this is a point in the message where I encourage you to download the Version Bible app if you haven't yet. It is so easy. It is uh, just I think it's at 650 or million downloads, like way over half a billion. It's just, it's wild. Uh, U-version, Y-O-U version Bible. Judges is the seventh book in the Old Testament, so it's pretty close to the front if you have a physical Bible, which I do, and because uh, I didn't want to read off of my phone for this particular message. So, Judges 6... Here we go. And I'm going to be in the, using the NIV for, uh, for this. So everybody take a deep breath. Let the oxygen flow through our bodies and our brains. We're going to hit this hard. Here it goes. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Remember I said there's this cycle here of, God, you're good. We're going to follow you forever. And forever turns out to be just a few years. And then turn away. Okay. Um, They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. They had to hide out. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. They did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So as we we see here, This is the cycle beginning again. They've turned away, and then they're finally last-ditch effort. Let's turn to God and see what happens. So they cry out to God for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet 
who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. This is where... If we're talking about an angry God, this is where the dividing line is. What happens next? The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah. That belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Again, this is not normal. You do not normally thresh wheat indoors because it creates dust. Like we're talking, you have to have masks stuff like that, but they're doing it in hiding because anything that is left out in the open is taken. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of the Midianite. Now, back in verse 11, it says the angel of the Lord was the one talking. Okay? I think it's really important that in verse 14, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord turned. It says the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family, the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lowest. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from, uh, from an ephah of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him, offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, now it's the angel again. Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, and this is when you see a heavenly creature, you are worried, you are concerned for your life. You, you just might die. And so the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abyssalites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd and one seven years old, 
tear down your father's altar to Baal. Baal was a, another kind of god in this time. And uh, cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So he's looking at these people. He says, you've turned to these gods. I want you to obliterate everything that reflects these gods. And I want you to build an altar to the Lord. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? Who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring your son out. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? For whoever fights him shall be put to the death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples, all these people that were oppressing the Israelites at this time, they crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. When the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abyssalites to follow him, he sent messengers through Manasseh calling them to arms and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they went up to meet them. And Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Here's where this guy became most famous. Okay, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. So he wants the fleece to be wet and he wants the ground to be dry. He's, tr- he's putting, in, putting God in a place where he's got to do a parlor trick. But for some reason, God says, okay, I will show you. And uh, that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And this is where um, Gideon presses his luck, so they say, uh, in certain circles. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. Do it the other way, God. Do it the other way, God. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Almost there, guys. Almost there. Early in the morning, this is chapter 7, Jeroboam, that's Gideon, is a new name, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. 
Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men were left, or 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now, let's do some math here real quick, okay? They were outnumbered, way outnumbered. So 22,000 left, that means 10,000 stayed, okay? So everybody good with my math? That's 32,000 total soldiers. God cuts it down to 10. That's not the math that any of us would use, I don't think. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. (laughs) Yeah, that's God math. Still too many. Go to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. And there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that I lapped, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midians into your hands. Let all the other men go to each his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to the tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. This is God's word for God's people. And I will summarize the rest of this story, but I encourage you to read the rest of chapter seven because what happens next is absolutely a God kind of story where 300 men could be responsible for defeating potentially a 100,000 person army. And uh, so why would, God, why would God continually whittle down the numbers here? They were 32,000 men to start, outnumbered at that. God worked that down to 10,000. That wasn't small enough because he wanted people to know He wanted Gideon to know, like, this is on me. I did this. You didn't do this. You asked me to show up. I'm going to show up, but I'm going to do it my way. That's how God works. And sometimes subtraction and things being cut out of our lives actually feel really, really painful at the time. But somewhere, some way down the line, we can look back and say, man, that really did set the stage for God to show up. Ultimately, this this army got whittled down to 300 men, and I'm convinced that Hollywood stole this story, okay, for those of you who have seen 300, okay? But uh, God needed them to know that he was the one delivering them. They had turned away from him, and Gideon, Gideon was like the fifth of 12. So this story didn't just end happily ever after, God will follow you forever, and then uh, now we're here, Okay over and over the cycle continued, but a mad God would have just zapped them. Take them out. No excuses. No mercy. But God never writes his people off. Never in anger did he say, I've had enough. I'm just wiping you out here. The Old Testament is just the first section of this story that is a picture of the unwavering love of God for his people, for you and for me, 
And maybe you're in a season where if you had to categorize your strength, maybe it was at 32,000 and, and then it got cut down to 10 and maybe you're, you're, you're on vapors now at your last 300, whatever that looks like. But this story illustrates the truth that while God might not be cool with what we do, he is present in our pain. He has a plan for us and we don't always follow it. But over the course of our lives, he will continue to keep showing up and making a way back to him because he is better than you think. He is better than you think. And uh, we have stickers to prove it. Well, maybe not prove it, but just to try to convince you, okay? Uh, the stickers don't prove a whole lot, but hopefully they will point you back to more important things. Um, but also, we... Throughout 2023, we've got uh, journals for those of, those of you who like to journal, a place for you to hold your hopes and a place for you to slap these awesome stickers that our team keeps putting together. So if you do not have one of these, we've got a stack of them over here. We've got a stack of them over there. Um, write down some of the things that you're struggling with and make a note of the pain that you're wa walking through and maybe even how God is showing up in the entire process. Now, we said there would be some Hebrew here, right? Uh, this whole uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so in each message, we're going to explore a little bit of Hebrew within it. Okay, Our hope is that you'll remember these things so that you can go back to them when things get really, really tough. Or if you're in a really, really hard situation right now, that they would be an encouragement. So everybody turn to your neighbor and say, ready to learn some Hebrew? Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay, everybody say this with me. Shalom. Ready? One, two, three. Shalom. Okay, well done. Brandon Musselman is uh, our local Hebrew scholar on staff. He knows more Hebrew than any of us, and so we kind of check all of our Hebrew through him. Um, and uh, most of the rest of us only have enough to be dangerous. So um, when you see, he confirmed this, when you see the Lord is peace in caps, as you do in in Judges 6, verse 24, that word shalom represents that entire phrase. The Lord is peace. Shalom. Okay? And we're contextualizing it to us. The Lord is my peace. Okay? So let's declare that truth together. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord is my peace. Let's do that one more time just for fun. The Lord is my peace. It's possible for God to give you peace in the midst of absolute chaos. A guy named Paul wrote a letter to a church in a place called Philippi, and he talked about the peace of God. He said, do not be anxious about anything. Easy, Paul. Okay, we'll just not be anxious. Okay, well, that's not always, not always an option. Okay, can't just always shut that down. But think, well, go on, Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think this is really, really cool, okay? Um, when we're anxious about stuff, okay? When we're anxious, present our requests to God, okay? And here's what I think is really cool about this. It doesn't say God will answer you the way you want to be answered, okay? And sometimes God knows what's better. And I think 
over the course of my uh, limited time here on earth, I've found that God's plans are always better than mine, even though I think they're pretty rocking in the moment, okay? It says the peace of God will guard our hearts, not the answer that you want, not the answer that I want. The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. And I don't know, maybe are you in a place where your heart needs some guarding? Are you in a place where your mind needs a little guarding? I think we could all use a little more of that. If you've always thought of God as a mad God, but the idea of him instead offering peace is intriguing to you, I've got a challenge for you. There is a five-day reading plan that's called Experiencing God's Peace. It's right there in the YouVersion Bible app. Would you consider tackling that with somebody? It's five days. You could be done by Friday. Actually, you could be done by Thursday if you start today, okay? If you have questions about the character of God, can he be good when things are bad? Or really, just if you have any questions about the character of God, we're actually going to have a Q&A at the end of this series on October 30th. And uh, we would love to hear those questions before that time. And so um, we'll be pumping that out on social media. We'll make some, uh, some posts to where you can uh, submit questions. Um, but we want to hear them. And we want to be able to walk through them and explore them together. If you thought God was mad at you because of your past, because of your mistakes, your brokenness, would you, would you just give him a chance to prove that he is so much better than that? Because he is better than you think. Ready for another Hebrew word? All right. Uh, on the count of three, we're going to say the word nisi. Ready? One, two, three. Nisi. Okay. Want to know what that means? Um, okay. Well, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, you actually have to come back next week for... Week two of who do you think you're talking to? Now, some of us in this room and even some of us online, if you're watching with us, you may be walking through a dark, dark season. Maybe it feels like things are burning to the ground. You're experiencing pain, heartache, illness, loss, and you long for anything even resembling shalom. You, you would not be alone. Peace doesn't always mean God removes us from the fires of our lives. Sometimes peace looks like the presence of God and sometimes even his people showing up and sitting with us while the fire rages on. So let's stand together and declare that truth this morning.